This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. We continue this morning with our series of messages on various sins. Not in the sermon last Sunday, but uh, I've been talking with some folks uh, between Sundays and asking those who are present, do you, do you know why I've chosen these particular sins? Pride, envy, anger, sloth, and today the sin of avarice. Well, many people don't know why. I just maybe just picked these out of the blue and found some sins that we all have and Bible verses that talk about them. Well, let me answer my own question. I have chosen these particular subjects, first of all, because I feel that we need to be confronted with the fact of our sins in these areas. The reason for this particular listing of sins is because we are following a list which is sometimes called the seven deadly sins. It's only a coincidence that the first four, pride, envy, anger, sloth, if you want to put those together in an acrostic, it, it spells out P's, P-E-A-S. And some may be thinking that that's paving the way for next Sunday, which is the sin of gluttony. Well, we'll wait till we get that to see if that applies to that. Anyway, we come this morning to the fifth in this series of messages. Today, the sin of avarice. One of the most revealing stories of the curse of avarice, as far as outside the New Testament, is Dostoevsky's parable of the onion. This is from the book, The Brothers Karamazov. Here's the story. Once upon a time, there was a peasant woman and a very wicked woman she was. She died and did not leave a single good deed behind. The devil caught up with her and plunged her into the lake of fire. So her guardian angel stood and wondered what good deed of hers could he remember to tell God. The angel said, well, God, she once pulled up an onion in her garden and gave it to a beggar woman. And according to the story, God answered, okay, you take that onion then, hold it out to her in the lake of fire. Let her take hold of that onion and be pulled out. And if you can pull her out of the lake, then let her come to paradise. But if that onion breaks, then the woman must stay where she is in the lake of fire. So the angel ran to the woman and held out the onion to her. Come, he said, catch hold and I'll pull you out. And he began cautiously pulling the woman out of the lake of fire. He had just pulled her right out when the other sinners in the lake, seeing how she was being drawn out, began to grab hold on her so as to be pulled out with her. But she was a very wicked woman and she began kicking them. I'm to be pulled out, not you. It's my onion, not yours. Let go. And as soon as she said that, the onion broke and the woman fell into the lake and the angel wept and went away. 
Now, we must remember this is only a story, and it's a fictitious story. It's not from the Bible. It's a symbolic tale about a future hell. But tragically, it is also a realistic interpretation of much of life in our own present day. This desire to grasp, to get things, begins in infancy and extends right on through adulthood. Let's look at infancy. The prophet Jeremiah accurately describes human nature when he says in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13, From the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. Well, you don't have to be around a little baby very long before you'll discover that a child is a rather self-centered being. Although babies are cute and wonderful and lovable and all that, yet babies are deprived of their ability to express their desires in words. Yet they have a rather effective way of letting you know that they want something. Look at early childhood. We find greed, self-centered desire, expressing itself in early childhood. You remember the little poem about the tea party? I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests and all, just I, myself, and me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. It was also I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. Look at adulthood now. Even into adult life, we see what strange things greed can do to what we call a mature adult who spends money he hasn't earned to buy something he doesn't need to impress somebody he doesn't like. Just what is this sin called avarice? We might define it as inordinate self-love which seeks to exalt, exalt oneself by the possession of things or wealth or power. It is a frantic attempt on the part of a person to escape life's frustration and emptiness by the inordinate craving of the things of this world. This is my onion. Just I, myself, and me. Oh, if we only had another bathroom, car, refrigerator, TV, house, so forth. The struggle to acquire and to possess is an exciting way to feed the fires of self-love. Of course, it's useless to remind one who is in the white heat of success, or maybe on the way there, that there's small profit in gaining the whole world if you lose your own soul in the process. The person filled with the deadly sin of avarice responds to this by saying, Obviously, I'm not losing. I'm gaining. This is life. What more could you ask for? And it becomes doubly tragic when this person's self-love is camouflaged by including in his picture of success the church or what he calls service. He says he's living a good life. What more could God desire of him? Don't talk to him about sin. He never murdered anybody, he says. But this person fails to realize that the sin of avarice or greed also carries with it a quality which numbs the sensitivity and causes one to be blind to the fact that real joy 
does not come through the getting of things. If there is no God, then avarice is a virtue because greed demands that a person surround himself with what then really matters in life. That's material possessions. Money is a symbol of these things. That is, if there's no God. But if there is a God, and we know there is, then avarice is a deadly sin. We are woefully wrong in seeking durability, permanence, stability, satisfaction in these material things. The sin of greed will fool you. It'll tell you that when you have enough of all these material things, then you're going to be satisfied. When you have all the food you need, all the clothing, the shelter you need, when you have the necessary living conveniences, then you're going to be happy. But the trouble is, that is not true. We can never be satisfied completely with things. Greed is a warning flag that goes up that tells us that something is deadly wrong with us spiritually and material possessions cannot solve this problem. In his book, Freedom in the Modern World, John McNamara says it this way, these economic troubles are relatively unimportant. They are not the source of our dilemma. They're just symptoms. The real trouble lies deeper. We shall never solve our economic troubles till we have solved the dilemma in our spiritual life, which produces them. I took a trip down to a convention in Florida many years ago. And while there, we had an afternoon off from the convention. So we had a cruise around Miami. Uh, The purpose of this cruise was to show off palatial homes, which are owned by some of the wealthy from all over America, and how lavish these homes all were. As the guide on our tour boat pointed out the homes, he told us something about the people who owned those houses. As our boat glided by one such mansion, the guide said, Mr., and he gave the name, of Chicago lives here. That is, he lives here a few weeks each year, He's the president of this company. He's the chairman of the board of that company. He has several swimming pools in the center of a beautiful patio. He has a yacht in his backyard. He has a Rolls Royce in his front yard. And he has ulcers in his stomach. (laughs) Let's not assume that a person must be wealthy, though, in order to harbor this sin of avarice. This is often true of a poor person who can afford only the bare necessities of life. And so often that person has a twin sin of envy, along with greed, which turns the heart cold. Ice in the heart, ulcers in the stomach, misery in the mind. What demon is it inside us that robs us of the joy we should have, causes us to be unable to enjoy the things that we do have, Simply stated, we are disappointed because we thought that the things which would bring us happiness have failed to do so. And we've come, therefore, to understand through bitter experience that man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Don't you have that rebellious desire sometimes to break the shackles 
of this rat, ra rat race for prestige and position and power. The poet Wordsworth said it so beautifully. The world is too much with us, late and soon, getting and spending. We lay waste our powers. Flip through the pages of Scripture sometime. You'll see a parade of unhappy souls who were made miserable by this same desire for happiness in things of this world. Ahab, Old Testament, was so filled with greed for Naboth's vineyard, he eventually stooped to murder to accomplish this avaricious end. But God's voice came to Ahab through the prophet Elijah, the Tishbite. 1 Kings 21, verse 19. In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood. You remember the rich farmer of whom Jesus spoke? He came to know the futility of full barns, full pockets, and an empty heart. When God said to him, This night thy soul shall be required of thee. And he was soon to drop dead. You remember Judas, driven by avarice, either for money or for power, betrayed his Lord and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. But then he found out that life was not worth living without Jesus. And so to all the Ahabs, the Judases, the rich fools of every age, Jesus said, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, how then do we make our own declaration of independence from the tyranny of slavery to things of this world? I think the answer is primarily in a right relationship to the Lord. Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The word filled means satisfied. When we take God's way, His pattern of life, his standard is our own, then and only then are we set free from our bondage to this world, and the two cannot be together. In 1 John 2, 5, we read, A man cannot love the Father and love the world at the same time. Lance Webb describes his mother's relationship with God in these beautiful words. The wife of a pioneer New Mexico itinerant preacher whose meager salary was pitifully inadequate for primary needs even, my mother patched the clothes of her four children until they could be patched no more. She sent her oldest son to college with nothing but a hope and a prayer and one pair of slick bottom dress pants that gave out after the first month yet seldom losing her joy that kept her smiling even in tears. She made us children grow up with a feeling that we were the richest people in the world. Her greatest gift to her children was the conviction that material things in abundance are not necessary for true happiness. None of us grew up with an inordinate craving for security. And in her last letter to me before her death, at age 79, Lance Webb said she wrote the secret of her joy. I think, I still thank God. 
He sent his love into my heart way back there. My heart is flooded with the sunshine of his love. It has carried me over many rough places and will still carry me through this life. Praise his wonderful name. When we too begin to live as children of God, we can enjoy the things of this world as he intends because then they will take second place with us. God is going to be first. The sin of avarice, of greed, can cause us untold misery. Let me share with you in closing a word from a a fellow pastor. According to a radio report, a middle school in Oregon faced a unique problem. A number of the young girls in that school were beginning to use lipstick and would put it on in the school bathroom. After they put their lipstick on, they would press their lips to the mirrors, leaving dozens of little lip prints on the school bathroom mirrors. Finally, the principal decided something had to be done. She called the girls to the bathroom and she met with them along with the custodian who had to come in and clean those mirrors every day. And to demonstrate how difficult it was to clean the mirrors, this lady, the principal, asked the custodian to clean one of those mirrors. He took out a long-handled brush, dipped it into the toilet, and scrubbed the mirror. (laughs) Since then, there have been no lip prints on the mirrors at all. And Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 7, 8, it says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Yes, when we're tempted to sin, if we could only see the real filth that we'd be kissing, we would not be attracted to it. Charles Kinley said, if you want to be miserable, think about yourself, what you want, what you like, what respect people ought to pay to you. And then to you, nothing's going to be pure. You'll spoil everything you touch. You'll make misery for yourself out of everything good. You'll be as wretched as you have chosen to be. But our Lord Jesus comes to us to say that through repentance of your sin and through faith in Him, not faith in this world, His blood can cleanse you from every sin. Yes, there's blessed, peaceful forgiveness waiting for us through the complete surrender of our life and ourself to the Savior, then He can cleanse us from this horrible sin of avarice, of greed. Oh God, thank you for the fact that your grace is sufficient. We need your cleansing. Many times we've tried turning over a new leaf, tried to do it ourselves, and we don't have the strength. We don't have the power to do what only you can do for us. So we pray, Lord, that even right now, we might be willing to say, Father, I turn my life over to you. I receive the cleansing from your son, Jesus. Cleansing that he gave with that victory on the cross. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful assurance that we have in him through whom we pray. Amen.